When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Riverfront. Is, is it the Riverfront? Is that where we are? This is episode number 406, and hopefully the technology works for us today uh, to get through this uh, show. But I'm excited about another fantastic uh, show we got lined up for you here. I'm Chad Dotson, your host for 406 episodes. My goodness. Uh, joining me again this week, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Nate Dotson. How are you, Nate? Oh, I'm great. I'm, I'm just here to hang out with you. I miss you, Mr. Musk. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um, so the Cincinnati Reds, big week in for the Cincinnati, big week for the Cincinnati Reds, right? Lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff to talk about. Man, this is the best time of the year to be a Reds fan. The Twitter fear has been alive. Oh my goodness! I've stayed away from Twitter the last week or two. Have you noticed that? I just, I, uh, you know, you did seem a little happier. <laughs> my mental health better. It's it's not bad. Um, so let's talk about the news of the week, such as it is. There is there is actually a little bit, but uh, the first thing I want to talk about was the lockout. I mean, this is kind of where we start every week. The players are still locked out, and if you look at some of the coverage, yeah, maybe I'm reading too much into it, man. Maybe it's because I'm getting antsy. But some of the coverage, the writers are feeling like they're starting to get a little bit. Uh, what's going on? Because the players and the owners aren't really talking, and the owners are still playing hardball, and um, you know. They're just kind of uh, circling around each other. I think of like a sumo wrestling uh, match. You know, they're kind of circling each other, and uh, but nothing's really going on. And we're starting to get to the point where it's about to get serious, right? Yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I've been pretty optimistic <laughs> throughout the whole thing, but um, you know, there's there's supposed to be games in a few weeks. People reporting sooner than that, and they haven't gotten any closer. The owners did make a you know make a make a play, and. They said, we're not going to give you anything you ask for, and we're actually going to ask for some stuff back and make it sound like we're giving you things. Um, we'll learn a lot. I think on the last I saw Monday, the players are going to present a new uh, new proposal. We'll learn a ton by that. If they are willing to uh, – well, I'm not even willing. I don't want to say that because I think you and I are on the same, same side here. But uh, we'll see what kind of urgency happens come Monday. If not, if they're still just as far apart, then we're missing games. Right, and I, I, frankly, I don't think the owners have been serious at all. And some of this is negotiation tactics, right? But I, their, their proposals have not been serious. Um, we'll see where the where the players are. You're right. If they're, if they're still oceans apart, we may need to start worrying. Um, and I know why you're so excited. You, you don't want to miss any games because you're, you're terribly excited to go see the uh, the Baltimore Orioles versus Oakland Athletics on Friday, July 27, 2012, right? That's a big game. <laughs> why, is this, why is this late on my desk? Yeah. How about this one? Here's Camden would not be a bad idea this year. You're right. There's a different one. This is the Mets 2011 Reds and Mets. This is this is at the Great American Ballpark. Have you I've been to the Great American Ballpark? I've heard of both those teams. Yeah, yeah, they are they are actual major league teams. One of them is even major league caliber. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the news with the lock. I'm not going to tell you which one actually. The Mets are kind of their ownership, and uh, they're kind of run about their worst. Their ownership's not worse than the Reds. Maybe I don't, maybe they're their Mets too, but. Um, and we're not even going to talk about the Orioles, but actually we just did talk about the Orioles. I, I'm a little confused. Um, what else is going on in Reds land? Well, the Reds we signed a guy. Hey. They signed a guy. And actually, you know, as much as we like to poke fun at the Reds, and this is not something that really moves the needle for the 2022 season, but I don't know. I'm pretty happy with the Reds signing uh, Ricardo Cabrera. Ricardo Cabrera, 17-year-old out of Venezuela. Um, a shortstop, I think, six yep. feet, 175 pounds. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a splash on the international market. And the Reds have, in recent years, made a splash on the inter- international market. I think the guys, obviously, like Rosella Iglesias, rest in peace, and uh, 
our oldest Chapman. And so uh, I think, let's see, Baseball America and MLB Popeline had Ricardo Cabrera as the number three overall player in this international class. So, I mean, you know, as much as we like to poke fun, um, this is this is a good bit of business by Nick Crawl and the Reds. Yeah, you can't be mad about it. Uh, and a lot of teams, you know, prefer the international draft over the, uh, you know, the, the regular MLB draft. I think the Yankees tend to put a little more emphasis on their international prospects, and they've, they've won some games over the years. Um, Cabrera, by himself, I think it's he's got he's got a chance to be a stud. They're saying that uh, in all likelihood he stays at short, where his bat's going to be incredible. He has um, got a chance to grow into a body that puts him over third, and his bat still plays there. Hits it to all fields with that gap power. Um, just pretty exciting guy. Yeah, when's the last time we had a you know a, a hitter that the Reds signed internationally that um, had this kind of a, a potential? Because I don't really remember one. Certainly, certainly uh, two way potential, offense and defense. Um, so yeah, I mean we're not going to see him for a while. He's seventeen, so it'll be at least like six eight months before he's in the majors. Uh, but by uh, you know August or September, he should be the starting shortstop because they will have uh, you know tossed uh, Jose Barrera on the uh, on the trash heap and uh, and, and moving on. But uh, a f- funny funny thing to note though, uh, Ricardo Cabrera, young enough to be Kyle Farmer's son. Oh, <laughs> we report. You decide. All right. So, uh, any other thoughts about Cabrera? I don't know. I, I'm listen. I'm loopy. It's, it's Nate and I. We're doing this on the fly. I just had a almost six hour drive. It's been a crazy week. And so uh, if I'm a little loopy today, it's not entirely my fault. I don't think anybody's going to complain too hard. Uh, you're loopy on your best days. Says uh, someone who ends his first day. Um, other news, speaking of prospects, obviously with a lockout, nothing going on on the big league level. So the Reds are signing exactly as many major league free agents as every other team. There's your positive spin, right? Prospect news, Baseball America, they released their top 100 prospects list, and I wish the Reds had more than four players on the list, but the Reds did have four prospects on the Baseball America list. Um, Unfortunately, the highest was number 33 overall. Now, we'll talk about each of these four quickly, uh, these four prospects, but were you a little surprised to see that none rated higher than number 33 on the top 100 list? Uh, I, I was a little bit. A I don't know what bit. I expected, but yeah, a little bit. And I thought if, if anybody was going to, it was going to be Hunter Green, who came in at uh, was it forty-five. Yeah. Um, but he he got tagged a little bit in Triple A last year, so I think that kept. If he would have performed similarly in Triple A as he did in Double A, I think that puts him in that top twenty range. But I'm not worried about it. The Reds have all four of their or three of their four guys are in that top thirty-six. Um, super deserving. I think it's funny to see Jose Barrero as the number 33 prospect and the Reds just not let him play for them. Or move him to center field or somewhere. That seems like a weird strategy to me. The Reds. Seems like a weird strategy to me. That's their tagline, right? Um, Yeah. Not on the list, not in the top 100 that you thought should have been? Uh, No. The guy that I was a little surprised – is on the list. Let me go ahead and read the list. The, the guy that I would have expected to get kind of snubbed a little bit because he's one of my favorite prospects actually did make the list. And so I was pleased to see that. Um, so we said uh, Jose Barrera was number 33 on the list. Future red center fielder, shortstop Jose Barrera. Uh, so Hunter Green, thir- number 35, which, you know, when you think about, you're right, triple A. And then plus he, he's still coming off that injury, you know, and, and he, he's recovered from it, but still that, you know, that, I don't know, in the back of, uh, of voters' minds, maybe it has something to do with it. Nicoladolo, 36. So, you know, if you'd have told me two years ago or when they drafted Nicoladolo that in the 2022 top prospects list, he would come in one spot behind Hunter Green, I'd, I'd, I'd sign up for that. Take it all day. Uh, so, yeah. And so the guy coming in at, I think, number 77, I believe, is a guy that I'd hoped would make the list. But he completely unknown before this season, basically, and uh, became my favorite prospect, essentially. Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, number 77, uh, just 19 years old and can absolutely mash. Great. So, was there anybody oh, incredible name, right? We're going to have some fun with that, right? Really catching on. Like I, I listening to uh, some other podcasts from around, around the MLB and people are starting to catch. I don't listen to hours. I have to get my baseball info somewhere. <laughs> there are, there are other podcasts. I don't recommend you listen to them. <laughs> okay. Only this one. <laughs> 
Um, but other people are starting to catch on. Like his, his is a name that's um, popping up in non-red circles as well. There is one guy that I'm really, really high on, and I know some other people are, and I guess I wouldn't have expected him to make the top 100, but I bet if you, uh, if you poll more people, he'd pop up every once in a while, and that's Graham Ashcroft. I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's got, uh, yeah, the, his basement, in my opinion, is an elite reliever with a chance to be a really good starter. So we'll see. Well, you know, uh, I'll take that. I'll take that, right? The, the, the one guy that I wish, he doesn't deserve to be in the top 100 list, but it kind of hurts me that he's not on the list. Uh, and again, he doesn't deserve to be. But that's uh, Red's, former Reds first-round pick, Austin Hendrick. And, and Austin Hendrick just um, has – he had a really, really – he had a bad year. What are you going to say? And uh, coming off a year of not uh, not playing except at the uh, at the, the ketchup factory. And if you don't know what the ketchup factory is, you've not been listening to us for uh, two years. Uh, you, know, you have to know what the ketchup factory is. But, um, yeah, he just hasn't – he's still young and no reason to give up on him, you know, but I would hope to see him on, on the top prospect list. Now, you mentioned well, – uh, go ahead. So they were saying that um, – I think it was our buddies over at Late Night – Reds, they, uh, the competition he played against in high school was just pretty, pretty poor. Like, pitchers were topping out in the low 90s. He just didn't see the kind of stuff that he, uh, and, and I think that you're off, gets to the pros and suddenly you got to face sliders and mid-upper 90s every night, and that's it's going to be a learning curve. No, Yeah, no. yeah, no question about it. And, 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 again, he's a high school kid, so it's not like we need to be tossing him, uh, you know, over, overboard. Uh, he's got plenty of time to uh, – to recapture that match because he's still got some crazy power. I mean, he, he can be a player. Uh, just it's, it's going to take a little longer maybe for him to develop. But fingers crossed. You just you pick out in the first round. You kind of hope a couple years later he's uh, he's on that list. Um, we talk about Ellie De La Cruz and uh, and great name. And I see what's above your right shoulder there, Nate. What does that say? Bring back Willie Moe. And it's not even really the player. I just want a person named Willie Moe in my life. <laughs> well, you know my uh, my youngest child is named Willie Moe Dotson. Oh, I guess I true gotta, story. I'm gonna. Pick a new name for my next pet, I guess. <laughs> from there you go. So anyway, top prospects, Yahoo. Um, now, so that's really the news of the week, which actually for the first time in a few weeks, we actually did have some some real news. Reds actually made a signing. And, you know, top 100 prospect list is not necessarily news, but um, but it's something. something so uh, you, ready to move on to, you ready to move on to this week in Reds history? That's good. <coughs> Easy longer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I gotta move. I gotta move to Arizona. <laughs> you, those those are just listening via audio. Uh, you you didn't hear that? Well, you didn't hear if you were watching on video either. But oh, got a little choked up there at, at the idea that the Reds signed a guy. So <laughs> uh, this week in Reds history, Nate. Let's uh, talk about again. Uh, our buddy Chris Garber uh, could be on this week, but. He, uh, you know, he did uh, just like last week. Did a little uh, research on birthdays and history. It's a, it's a fun little, and we got an idea about maybe how to feature more of these things because uh, it's a lot of fun. And he did a lot of research, and and uh, so in, in the interest of time, there are a few that, that happened this week in Red Sixers. I think it'd be interesting to talk about. Now let's go to the first one uh, from January sixteenth of two thousand eleven. That was fully eleven years ago, because I know math. January 16, 2011, the Reds signed Joey Votto to a three-year contract extension worth $38 million, thus avoiding arbitration and rewarding the newly crowned National League MVP. Fifteen months later, Votto gets 10 more years on that deal. Uh, and, and Chris called it the largest significant and perhaps smartest talent investment the Reds franchise had ever made. So 10, 11 years ago today, Joey Votto started getting paid. And if you'd asked me at that time, if he's, if he's still going to be in the Reds in 2022, and if so, is going to be any good? I mean, I probably wouldn't have doubted Votto at that time because he was the best player in baseball, but who knew? Uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled that he's still a guy. Well, if you would have told me that he was going to you know, be batting under 300 and leading the team in home runs, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> you couldn't have predicted that one, right? Um, we're not going to talk too much about uh, what happened on uh, January the 17th of 2003, when the Reds signed Danny Graves to a three-year deal. Oh, okay. We're not going to talk. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Of course, Danny Graves um, follows me on Twitter, so I, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, 
a two-time All-Star. Graves had a good career. He just that was the kind of the beginning of the end for him in Cincinnati after that. But Nate, uh, what, what else you got for this week in Reds history? On January 19, 2017, the Reds traded a personal favorite of mine, Dan Straley. Dick Williams with a uh, just just fleecing the Marlins. Gives up Dan Straley, who just had a good year for us, for three prospects, including one fellow we all may have heard of named Luis Castillo. Um, at the time, I, I wasn't sure. I did. I liked Straley. He just seems like a pretty likable guy and had a good year for us. And you know how prospects go. You just never know. But looking back on that one, getting rid of a uh, you know, four or five starter for our future ace for several years is a pretty good haul, Mr. Williams. Yeah, I mean, Straley, you know, they, they picked up Straley off the, off the uh, you know, waiver wire, uh, mm-hmm. as I recall. You know, so basically got him for free and then, uh, you know, less than a year later, flip him for a future all-star, an ace. That's, it's going to go down as one of the greatest uh, trades in my lifetime as a Reds fan, and uh, just hope uh, Castillo can continue to build on that. But that's this weekend, Reds history. One let's more of this weekend, Reds history. Well, let's hope he can continue to build. On, let's hope he can continue to build on that in a Reds uniform. Uh, come on, man! You had to go there. Hmm. Sorry, sorry. Disapprove. What about January twenty first, nineteen seventy four? Now I know you remember this like it was yesterday. Nate, January 21st, 1974. Formative moments of my life. Yeah, I thought so. The Cincinnati Reds, uh, their their radio play-by-play guy was a guy named Al Michaels. Of course, Al Michaels, legendary broadcaster. He leaves and goes to San Francisco. So the Reds do a big search, and they sign a guy who had been most recently the the play-by-play announcer for the Virginia Squires of the American Basketball Association. Who's the most famous player to play for the Virginia Squires, Nate? No idea. One Julius oh. Dr. J. Irving played for the Virginia Squires. I, know, I thought you were a big uh, American Basketball Association fan, Nate. I guess not. No, I didn't, uh, I didn't convert until they uh, acquired the other teams and turned into the NBA. There you go. He uh, he also uh, was a play-by-play guy for the baseball's AAA Tidewater Tides, AAA uh, affiliate of the New York Metropolitans, and it was one Franchester Martin Brenneman, known better as Frenchie. Franchester? What a name. Martin Brenneman. So uh, signs with the Reds and, uh, you know, the uh, history. Uh, how do they say it? You know, the rest was history. Any thoughts on uh, Martin Franchester? Franchester Martin? Um, I think that uh, this, I guess, the casual fans' opinion of this occasion is going to differ depending on when they started listening to Marty. Um, growing up, him and Joe in the booth was the best in the bids. I mean, outside of maybe L.A. and Vince Scully, we we thought we had the best uh, best duo in the booth in the game. And we did for a long time. Um, towards those later years, he got a little curmudgeon um, I started losing hope for him whenever he, you know, took his Adam Dunn stances, and that was the uh, the end of it all for me. But still, we got a long, long time with one of the best to ever do it. And even when he was, uh, people criticizing him for being uh, crotchety, uh, he still, in terms of just being able to call the game, call the action, as good as anyone. I mean, just really incredible. Um, but but if, whatever you thought about him, you have to admit that he totally redeemed himself by writing the forward to the Big 50, <laughs> the many moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. So there you go, Nate. That's uh, the news from this week, this particular week in Reds hist- or in current day Reds and this week in Reds history. You know, we laughed, we uh, we cried, we uh, we enjoyed it, but I think it's probably time to move on. You know, we do have a topic of the day for a reason. We should probably touch on it, I guess. Yeah, topic topic of the uh, episode here again. After you, uh, obviously, you know last week's topic. By the way, uh, f- top five favorite Reds of all time. That ended up uh, that was a lot of fun last week. Uh, really, kind of got a, a lot of good feedback on that, didn't we? It was great. I uh, checked checked Twitter the next day, and there was just all these people mentioning listening to their top five. I love that. By the way, if we can uh, make that a recurring theme with these top fives, you all chiming in and uh, giving us your thoughts. I thought that was super fun. That's fantastic, yeah. So our topic this week is going to be the top five favorite Reds moments, okay? You know, we went with top five uh, favorite players last week and not 
the t- five best players because it's more interesting to me, to, you know, because you have different criteria for who's your favorite. It's not, not necessarily the best. And so same here, you know, um, so some of these moments are certainly going to be moments that most Reds fans are going to remember, but uh, it's, it's top five favorite Reds moments. Now, Nate, you, I, I see your list, but did you, did you rank them one through five? I went five to one. There you go. Five to one. Well, I went one. I went one. You're one to five. I went one to five is how mine's listed. So we're going to start at each of our number five and we'll just count down to to number one. So why don't you tell us what your number five most favorite Reds moment uh, of your lifetime as a Reds fan? Yeah. um, I had to uh, do quite a bit of rearranging. I I thought about this a little too hard, but my number five was um, opening day in 2005. Adam Dunn hits uh, a two run home run, knocks in Austin Kearns in the bottom of the ninth followed by Joe Randall walk-off bomb. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but you know, there's something about spring training and then opening day where you have all the optimism in the world and you can't win them all if you don't win the first one. And I think that uh, like I remember being at that game, being with a buddy of mine, and just the sheer emotion and the joy and high-fiving everybody that's anywhere close to you. And I'm wearing my, wearing my sleeveless cut-off Adam Dunn T-shirt as uh, you know, everybody did at the time. It was, uh, it was a super cool experience. That needs to be a uh, you know uh, uh, something you we can you can uh, get as if you join our Patreon, get a sleeveless Adam Dunn shirt at some certain level of Patreon. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about adding that on the list. You know, I was there and uh, just unbelievable. And and there were some moments at uh, at the Great American Ballpark, uh, or as I call it, Jimmy Haynes Memorial Stadium. And um, where it's just, it's so loud and it's just, uh, people are hugging each other and you get kind of a different crowd on opening day anyway. It's not really your hardcore baseball crowd. Sometimes it's a lot of guys that are people that want to be seen. And um, But it was just uh, unbelievable what you've done. And then Joe Randa and just, oh man, amazing. So that's a, that's a pretty good number five, Nate. I think so. The Reds did, uh, you know, kept the momentum going, finished a robust 72 <laughs> and 89, fifth in the division that year. Yeah, who could forget? Terribly exciting. All right, my, my number five, top five favorite Reds most, my, my number five on my list. And this is one that, you know, um, uh, well, Pete Rose, okay, it's Pete Rose uh, 4,192, the hit to break Ty Cobb's record. You now, were alive for that. I was alive for that. Thank you. Sorry. It's September 11, 1985. Rose, of course, has, you were barely alive for that, right? Um, <laughs> Rose obviously has a bit of a complicated legacy. Well, that's the way we'll put it here. But now when I was a kid and that summer that he was chasing Ty Cobb's record, uh, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know Pete Rose from the, the glory days, just from hearing the adults talk about how great he was for the big red machine. And so, you know, he comes back to Cincinnati and and they start being competitive for the first time in my lifetime as a Reds fan. And, uh, and so Rose has this, this, uh, this chase after four, one, nine, two. And I don't know if you didn't really experience it, it's a little difficult to kind of contextualize it for you kids because stats aren't really what they are. Aren't aren't these days what they used to be, you know, the the, the chase for those big stats in baseball. I I don't know. I think maybe the the steroid area changed some of that, but uh, you know, the fact that he was chasing the all time hit record, uh, and we didn't have, you know, fan graphs talking about how uh, he was hurting the Reds by being in, playing instead of Nick Asaski or somebody, right? And so uh, it was just Pete Rose, a local hero. And that summer, and, and we didn't have social media, you had to wait uh, to, uh, you know, to listen to the game on the radio to find out. If not, you had to wait until the next morning or, or the, the news at night, you know, the 11 o'clock news would carry it. And everybody was asking, what did Pete do? Did he get a hit? Did he get a hit? And uh, you weren't there, but uh, our father and and me and and uh, our brother Corey were there for the hit that got him. He was within twenty hits of the record, and the Riverfront Stadium was just electric. It was wild, and I remember the night. It was a Wednesday night. I remember it was a Wednesday night. I remember where we were, and because uh, I didn't get to see it until the highlights later on the, on the eleven o'clock news, but. Uh, just following Pete Rose all summer and, and that streak, you know, I, I think I was the right age. I was like 11 years old or something at the time, 12. And I think I was, it, it was a perfect age for me to, I don't know, to kind of, kind of fall in love with the, uh, the, the drama and I don't know the history of it. So, 
So that's my number five. Pete Rose is 4,192. How would you say that compared to, say, uh, I guess the only one sort of comparable in our lifetime is the uh, Maguire Sosa home run chase? Because that was must well, must watch TV. Like you're looking at every single um, the sports center, MLB tonight, trying to see who hit one that day. And I just, I'll never forget that summer. It was super fun, especially post lockout when it kind of rejuvenated baseball again. Was it similar to that sort of the fever pitch? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was different for for me because it was, it was a red doing it uh, with Pete Rose. But yeah, I mean, it's very similar. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't an era where you could watch every game like you can now. But you know, ESPN, you did have ESPN Sports and all that. But ESPN will cut into whatever broadcast they had every time those guys batted. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, and it was the same question. Oh man. What, what did Sosa do last night? What did McGuire do last night? And I don't know that we're ever going to get that because of the nature of social media and um, everything's so instant that there's – and I'm not saying I necessarily want to go back to those days, but, man, there was something fun about, you know, walking into school the next day and, uh, you know, walking into your class. I guess I was in college, walking into class, and, oh, man, what did McGuire do last night, you know? Oh, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, you know, going to be in a riverfront stadium and watching getting there early to see, watch McGuire take batting practice and just launch balls to Jupiter. It was wild. So, yeah. So, you got to experience some of that. Yeah, it was super fun. I got uh, one of my favorite memories of that summer. And I'll just touch on it quick. I know we're uh, <laughs> dwelling on our number fives here, but I was at batting practice uh, back when they let you watch batting practice, trying to get a McGuire home run ball. So, he got up once. He was hitting them all to, uh, my memory could be a little bit foggy, but I think it was left center. I went over there and I'm standing like right in front of the rail. I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple, go a few rows back. I move. And as soon as I move, a ball gets hit exactly where I was. Because I wasn't there, the guy that was standing behind me, boom, pelted right in his stomach. Everywhere. Makes a noise I've never heard a human being make before. And as funny as that was, he leaves, goes and gets another beer. I go down there again because I'm thinking, no, now all the balls are going here. Same thing happens. I move. Two, pit, two swings later, boom. The guy gets hit in the stomach twice by McGuire home run balls in Matt practice. Same dude. Oh, my God. Man, same spilled beer. So you could have had two uh, balls, but they would be lost in time. You wouldn't know where they are. But but you've got that, that story forever. Two, 2014, 2014 Sweet 16 at uh, Madison Square Garden. If you're not watching the video, you don't know what I'm talking about. But – the fact of the matter is, even if you're watching the video, most of the time you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Nate, give me your number four. Absolutely. I'm going to stick with the opening day theme. Um, I went 2003, opening day at Great American Ballpark. Um, I had my memories from this one. And I'll never forget it, of course, but I went back and looked at some of the like the, the, the moments of the day, and I thought they were pretty interesting. You know who the first batter was at Great American Ballpark? No. Kenny Lofton. Really? Should be a Hall yeah. of Famer. Oh, that's a pretty good one. First home run. Adam Dunn. No, Dunn it's went around there. You got played for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Reggie Sanders. I did not remember that. Our guy Reggie Sanders. First home run at Great American Ballpark. I said the, uh, the first red was Austin Kearns. Um, you know, say what you want about politics and all that, but George H.W. threw out the first pitch, I believe. And, you know, opening day in Cincinnati is just a special thing. So being there for all that, say King River Jr., I think it might have had the first hit. It was just one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of things. Like, well, I mean, literally once-in-a-lifetime. How often do you get uh, to inaugurate a stadium in a baseball fanhood? Yeah. You'll never again get to go to the first game at Great American Ballpark. Hopefully, you can go to another game at Grand Bear Ballport one day. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I hope I can, but I'm not counting on it. All right, my number four on the list of top five favorite Reds moments was uh, an opening day contest precisely 10 years earlier, 1993. 1993, it was uh, the, my first opening day. Uh, 41 degrees. It, uh, it, it snowed. A little bit during the game, we were way up top. It was uh, again me and uh, one of our, one of our brothers and my dad. April fifth, nineteen ninety three, and just all the way up in the red seats. And man, I was just I, I couldn't believe it. 
you know, I just could not believe it. Uh, I was there at opening. We went to the parade, and I don't know. Just a very, very special day. Uh, the Reds won two to one. And, you know, 1993, the Reds were not that far from the uh, World Series team. And so I still had a lot of hope. And, and, and look at this lineup, you know. Bip Roberts, Roberto Kelly, Barry Larkin, Kevin Mitchell, Chris Sabo, Randy Milligan, Reggie Sanders, Joe Oliver, Jose Rio on the mound. You know, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good lineup. Rio was incredible that that day and that year. Um, Chris Sabo hit a home run. Uh, the Reds won two to one, but to me, the most memorable for some reason was um, watching uh, Rob Dibble meltdown when he gave up one of the longest home runs I've ever seen in my life. Larry Walker hit a home run. They're playing the uh, the Expos. Larry Walker hit a home run in the ninth inning to make it two to one. And I thought Dibble was going to melt down over it, but uh, he didn't kill anyone in the Reds. He held on to, to save the game for the Reds. But that was my, that's my number four moment. Again, this, this is personal to me. I doubt anyone else. Well, there might be some people that have that on their top five list, but it's my first opening day. And we've been talking about opening day because, uh, and your first two were opening day games. We don't have a lot of postseasons. Part of the reason why, but the other is it's just special. It, it just is, and people outside Cincinnati can't really understand it, but it is. It's just special. Yeah, I think um, we uh, all Reds fans have, at least anybody born after the Big Red Machine, has a limited uh, pool to choose from. And you'll see a theme with my next three, uh, starting with was it August tenth, two thousand ten. Um, the Reds Cardinals got into a little bit of a kerfuffle. It was a kerfuffle. And I was at that game. Me and, my, me and my best friend made the trek up. Um, the Reds were pretty good. <laughs> and they hadn't been good in a while. So it was uh, a bit of excitement in the air in Cincinnati. And then to uh, get into the bottom half of the inning and almost immediately, I just remember, like, you know how it is in between innings. You're, you're chatting away. You're talking to your neighbors. And at the same time, like, everybody just sort of breathed in. And all the energy in the stadium goes to home plate. You look up, and you've got Yachty and BP going at it. You've got Dusty and Tony Larusa going at it. I mean, there are many, many beefs were out there on that day. Chris Carpenter being a turd. It was uh, yeah. just something that I'll yeah. never forget being at. I mean, Yachty had one of the best responses of all time when he got to bat again. But, uh, you know, that sort of – the Reds got swept that series. Um, that part I didn't love. But it kind of set the tone for what became a really exciting rivalry, and it let MLB know that this uh, the Cincinnati team wanted to be taken seriously. And being at that game was pretty darn cool. Yeah, and after that, after that, of course, the Reds won a run and, and won the division. But uh, uh, we're not going to repeat it here. But if you remember, what precipitated that was uh, what uh, you know Brandon Phillips called the the Cardinals, which is the most. Go look it up. It was the most accurate description of the St. Louis Cardinals, and it's still accurate today. Um, I was actually at a, a, a conference for for work at that time, and the, it was uh, and I had my family with me, so was, you know we were walking around. And I was kind of following the game on on my uh, on my phone at the time because I wasn't able to watch it. And I was like, oh my gosh! And then there's a fight. And I'm like, oh, I'm missing it. And so uh, I had to watch the the highlights that night. You know, uh, Johnny Cueto going nuts on everybody. Poor uh, former Red uh, Jason Larue getting. Uh, getting you know killed and um man it was uh that was that's that's what and, and when we had the flex the uh, castellanos flex this year that's the first thing i thought about was yeah. oh man here we are you know almost well, more than a decade later same old nonsense whiny little cardinals i agree with me that's all i'm gonna say there you go exactly all right so now yeah. number uh three that's nate's number three my number three on my list uh, May 28th, 1983, Nate. May 28th, 1983. Obviously, I mean, everybody, when you hear those numbers, you know what I'm talking about. I refuse to look it up. I was, uh, I'm interested. The Reds defeated the Pittsburgh Pirates 4-3. to three. Ben Hayes got the win. Um, Rod Scurry took the loss, and Bill Scherer got his second save of the season. Just incredibly exciting. All right, what was number two on your list, Nate? Oh, okay, wait, wait. There's a little, little more context. Let me give a little bit more context. That was the day that uh, young Chadwick 
walked uh, on those, uh, you know, uh, rubber expansion joints at Riverfront Stadium for the first time and stepped up into the stadium and walked out and saw that green AstroTurf that was so gorgeous to a, you know, whatever, that seven or eight, and uh, to a kid. And, um, and of course, I've talked about this game more than any game on this uh, podcast because that's the game where I wanted to see uh, Johnny Bench play in his last game. And he did not start. Someone else did. But, uh, but seriously, you know, the Reds won, which I loved it. Gary Reedus, the immortal Gary Reedus, stole home. And the first game I ever saw, Gary Reedus stole home. I mean, who, that doesn't happen. So that was the beginning, really the beginning of uh, this uh, lifelong love affair with the Reds. Just being there and I'll just you know, and everybody's got their own story about the first time they got to go to a Reds game. Sure. So that was mine. And that's why I'm still here a thousand years later, still talking about this stupid thing. What else? Well, you got number two, Nate. Um, I'm going to stick with the same season because what else am I going to do? I was born in 1985. Um, with August or sorry, October 10th, 2010, the Reds lost. They didn't even score on this game, but it's the only playoff baseball I've ever gotten to see live period. And it was our Reds. Um, it was Cole Hamels pitched. I think we had Cueto on the mounds. Homer came in relief. The Reds could never get anything going. They had uh, got no hit game one, had some really, really uncharacteristic errors to uh, a pretty tough loss in game two. But game three for that uh, series against the Phillies in 2010, I remember riding home from the game with you, and we couldn't even be upset. Like it was, it was, you cannot imagine a more just fun, electrifying atmosphere in that stadium, even in the bottom of the ninth when, uh, who was it? I think I actually wrote it down here. Um, BP or somebody, BP hit a leadoff single in the bottom of the ninth. So we started to threaten. Everybody's on their feet, 46,000 people or something like that. It was insane. And even though they lost, it will like the, the goosebumps. I think I still have goosebumps from that game. Yeah, and it's it's kind of sad for us to be talking about this way about a game that the, the Reds ultimately lost the series. And but at the, at the time, first of all, it was the first playoff appearance in 15 years. So the first playoff game in Cincinnati in 15 years. And a real young team. We didn't know that they weren't ready for a period of success ahead of it. So it turns out they didn't end up great. They had some success, but it didn't end up particularly well. But what I remember most is 10 minutes of game before first pitch. Mm-hmm. And sitting in the stands. Nobody's sitting. I shouldn't say sitting, but everybody's got their white towels. I actually still have that towel. It's, it's somewhere amongst all this uh, junk. Um and waving those towels and the sound and seeing those white towels being waved. And I was like, finally, finally some payoff for, you know, what had been a pretty rough stretch the previous decade. And I'm like you, yeah, that's, that didn't make my list, but man, it easily could have. Yeah. Easiest 10 hour drive I've ever had to make. Oh man, you did have 10 hours. I didn't have quite that kind of a drive that you night. Got those tickets, though, so uh, forever to dead on that one. Yeah, that was a good one. That was. Good. I'm glad we both got to uh, got to do that. So, all right. So now we're up to that was Nate's number two. That was game three of the 19 uh, or the 2010 National League Division Series. Reds lost to the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Now I, we're up to my number two now. But my number two is also Nate's number one. And so I'll let you uh, briefly talk about it first. And that, of course, also from 2010, Clinchmas. It's a yeah. Uh, it's a little bit sad that three of my top five. Uh, favorite Reds moments all came from the same season. That's exceptionally <laughs> sad. But, uh, oh, man, like I was at um, Trinity's Irish Pub. They had the MLB um, Extra Innings Package, the only only little bar restaurant in Charleston at the time that I was aware of that had every Reds game. The owners there were super kind to me and my buddy, also a Reds fan, and they, would, uh, they had like a little third floor that they only opened up for special occasions. They would come open it up and just let me and him sit up there and watch Reds games. Sometimes they'd hire us from a bartender. We won't get into that. But uh, <laughs> um, that game, we had invited a bunch of people to come join us. Uh, we knew there was a chance for it to end the way it did. We bought a uh, champagne bottle and just got everybody to sign it all night long. And it was it was Mary Clinchmas, Jay Bruce, first pitch, bottom of the ninth. It was the coolest moment of my Reds fandom and nothing's really come that close. Yeah, no, it was, 
certainly a number two for me. And uh, it was a situation where I was actually in the park uh, that day. Um, I got lucky, I guess, but we were out in the, the moon deck and um, I, I'll, I remember like it was yesterday, uh, the swing and just watching that ball soar and then everybody just high-fiving each other and going nuts. I remember, uh, you, you all know, uh, I mean, you know, Joel Luckup, who's written a couple of Reds books and uh, I remember giving him a high five and we were just, it was, uh, again, some of that same sort of release that we were talking about with the, the playoff. Yeah, you know, is oh my! After this awful season, series of seasons, we have a winner. We actually won the division, and, and Jay Bruce the home run off uh, Tim Burdak, I believe, and I don't know, just an incredible moment. There's some funny little subplots there. Burdak, like his his um, stats on the season against left-handers were nuts. Like the guy just did not give up home runs to left-handed hitters. And that was the moment, no matter what Bruce did after that, that was the moment where uh, Bruce secured his spot in the Reds Hall of Fame. So He was uh, the, the first person off my list of top five favorite Reds. Like, he, he yeah. easily been on that list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just thought I was a little surprised it wasn't mentioned uh, last week in that discussion, but some people did mention it on Twitter at us. All right. My number one on my list, uh, this is one that would not have been on Nate's list, obviously, but my number one favorite Reds moment, I wasn't in the park for this one because the park was out there in Oakland, California. It was game four, 1990, when the Reds clinched the World Series, the only World Series that uh, any of us remember. You know, uh, I was in uh, our parents' living room at the time. You know, I was in high school and, you know, just uh, I felt like I had suffered my whole life as a baseball fan. <laughs> A oh, little that I know. Um, but my team went in the world in a sweep over the powerhouse A's. And then I, I remember seemingly every pitch, you know, Rio threw that day. Jose Rio was just dominant. I remember him coming off, bounding off the mound and give me one run, you know. And then Herm Winningham lays down the bunt and beats it out. And then, oh my goodness, it was just. Um, and then Randy Myers comes in for the save and, you know, uh, gets Carney Lansford to pop it up behind first base and a mortal. Cincinnati Red, Todd Benzinger secures it. And I don't know, it was just um, – if you'd have told me it's never going to happen again, I wouldn't have believed it um, or I would have just switched teams or some of the time. But the joy of watching those guys jump around on the mound, why it should make me some dumb guy watching from thousands of miles away so happy. But if you're listening to this, you understand, I guess, that it's just – it was uh, – it was, it was, I hope we get another one like that. And if we do, hopefully I'll be in the stands uh, – if not, uh, I, you know, we'll be at, in Charlottesville at some bar watching it uh, or something. But, um, yeah, that's that's my number one game forward in 1990. A constant theme of this podcast is why. Why do we Why do we do this? Why do we submit ourselves, subject ourselves to such torture? And that's why. Because you might get that. You might get that again. We're chasing it, right? Yeah. yeah. I got a question. Do you have anything that uh, narrowly missed the cut? My, my top five was pretty pretty straightforward. Like, I the closest thing I had was I have a very specific memory of Dimitri Young, Jason LaRue, and Pokey Reese going back to back to back in a game that I was watching on GameCast on the interwebs when I was like 16. And I actually had that in my number five spot for a little bit before I thought a little harder <laughs> about it. That's kind of sad, actually. Yeah. It was on ICQ. I don't know if people even mm-hmm. know what ICQ is. I think it was uh, like AOL for the rural Virginia. <laughs> right. Instant Messenger. Anything that well, – yeah, I did. Um, you know, I had uh, one that just narrowly missed the list. This was, I think, four years ago, three seasons ago. I can't remember, but it was in, uh, you know, uh, May. And uh, the Reds had started out the season awful. Uh, you know, whatever, was on their way to another 90-loss season. But uh, I, my my son and I, we decided to go up and watch a game. So we uh, were in the, in the ball yard. And it's a close game. And the Reds bring in a, a, a maybe the most talented uh, reliever that you've ever seen. Uh, Nate, do you, you know the reliever I'm talking about, obviously, right? Uh, <laughs> ten guesses. I've seen the show notes, and I still am not sure. <laughs> Kevin Quackenbush. So they bring in Kevin Quackenbush. I mentioned this too because it, my son still laughs about it to this day. It just it cracked him up. He was, you know, I don't know how old he was at the time. Not not very old, but anyway, he comes in, and there's a drunk guy down in front of us. And after every pitch, this guy stands on his feet the whole time. After every pitch, he screams out, holds his beer up, screams out, fear the mighty Quackenbush. And there's like 40 people in the stands. So Quackenbush is hearing him every time he says it. 
and you know he gives up four runs or something. It was, but anyway, that almost made my list because we had more fun uh, there at that uh, moment than uh, than any other. <laughs> there was a real one that almost made my list, which was the, the Todd Frazier home run derby. I tried yeah. to put that in there, but couldn't quite get there. But I but think anyway, that'll so. be on uh, a lot of people's list for sure. Yeah, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Okay, so uh, you want to get some viewer mail, Nate? Let's do it. Um, let's throw it out there real quick. Uh, viewer mail is all of our uh, amazing. Um, appreciated Patreon subscribers. Um, and we wanted to let everybody know that for those subscribers, we will be doing a viewer mail only podcast um, solely available for our Patreon uh, family where we're just going to rifle through as many as they're willing to, willing to send us. Um, this is probably my favorite part of every episode anyway. So really looking forward to that one. Hopefully we can get uh, some of the other guys on there too. Yeah. Whether we're at baseball or anything, we're going to have a, but we're going to have a wild time, I think, on that one. So that's patreon.com slash riverfront where you too can support the podcast. If these questions come from, our first question comes from our friend Calvin Medcalf. That sounds like Ferner. I don't think he, I don't think he's from America. Calvin Medcalf, our favorite patron, with Jonathan India giving tickets to a fan at the Bengals game, as well as following him on Instagram. I'm curious during your time watching the Reds, who has come across as the kindest player? Yeah, if you haven't been watching Jonathan India lately, he's uh, that dude is trying to become a Cincinnati legend. But the kindest Cincinnati Reds player, to me, it comes back to Sean Casey, probably. Seems like. Did That's you have right. another name, Case? Okay. Nate? Nope, Sean Casey was it. Touched him last week as well. I think that uh, it's not just when he played. I think it's still true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, we're, this, by the way, this I meant to say this a moment ago. This viewer mail uh, segment here is going to test my strengths as an analyst here, um, because I told you, you know, that I just got off a, a long drive. I started a new job this week, and so uh, I haven't even looked at these questions yet. I'm sorry. I always do my you know, research and try to get ready for these questions. I haven't looked at them, so I'm winging every one of these. So, um, my answer. Chad's had a pretty hectic uh, seven to ten days. It has been crazy, and uh, I don't know. We'll talk about it more later. But you, don't need, um, uh, you didn't need a ton of prep for Joe Farfsing's next question. Why don't you go ahead and read Joe's question to for us? It's not so much a question, question as a statement. Um, Joe says pointedly and accurately, "Bob sucks." That's all. I'm you know, uh, about Mr. Castellini and not our uncle, but. <laughs> well, but then again, uh, that particular uncle, uh, speaking of being at Reds games where there's almost nobody in the stands, um, uh, we went to a late season uh, Reds Astros game and uh, we were right behind home plate, nobody there. And they're playing, and, and Jeff Bagwell played and he screamed at uh, at Bagwell the entire game, but he wouldn't call him ba- Bagwell, he called him Baggy Britches. And he just thought that was the funniest thing ever. Hey, Baggy Britches. And, and, and you think I've got a bad accent, you should hear his. Accent. Amazing. So, uh, yeah. Um, Amazing. Amazing. All right. So, yeah, sell the team, Bob. Uh, Kyle Kapler's question. Serious question this time, says Kyle. Which fast food restaurant makes the best coffee? Are you a coffee guy, Nate? <laughs> That's uh, my lifeblood. I've got an IV just mainlining in my veins about 12 hours a day. So, which fast food restaurant? It's got to be McDonald's. Um, I've always been more partial to uh, quick gas station coffee if I have to drink while I'm on the road. But the question says fast food, so it's got to be Mickey D's. It's typically, I find it to be a good bit stronger than uh, some of the other places. They're not trying to water theirs down. They're trying to get everybody all jacked up, not only on Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't drink a lot of coffee. Some, uh, obviously, uh, McDonald's. I've always had McDonald's and Hardee's, or, or as they call it uh, elsewhere. Carl's Jr. So I'm going to go with uh, McDonald's. I think I, I think I had some like In-N-Out as well. The one time we ate at In-N-Out, I think I got coffee. Oh, you imagine that Chick Fil A has good coffee. I've just never had. It. Yeah, everything else is good there. So, so we're going to go with McDonald's, but I guess. Next question comes from Phil Thompson. Phil says this Titans fan here. Hmm, I don't know about that, uh, Phil. Say that out loud on this show. Who do you think is going to win between the Titans and the Bengals? The Titans' defense is solid, and Henry is back. But Joe Burrow is a stud. What say you? Well, the Bengals, just like the Reds, have not won a playoff uh, game in uh, you know three decades. Oh wait, actually, I'm getting I'm getting word from the home office in Kalamazoo, Michigan. 
about the Bengals winning? So clearly it's going to be the Bengals, right? There's no other answer than the Bengals. Joe Burrow is the king. I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty fun matchup. The Titans are a weird team. They get the one seed, and they've had some really great wins, but they've had some atrocious losses. I think they lost to the Jets, uh, just, just, just some, some brutal defeats. I think as long as Cincinnati can keep Joe Burrow on his feet, that uh, you know their, their, their skill players are so good. I think they got it. Derrick Henry coming back off a long, long injury uh, drought. I think that uh, Bengals have every chance in the world. I'm telling you, we said it before before the season, and, and they've been a little bit better. But, man, an offensive line in front of Burrow, and this team all of a sudden is an unstoppable offense. Mm-hmm. So, we're, yeah, we're going with the Bengals. Sorry, uh, sorry about that one, Phil. Appreciate the honesty, though. That is true. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, the next question here comes from our friend Joseph Prince. And what I can tell you about this question, it's, this is kind of a, a subset of, uh, of questions we get from Patreon occasionally, which you ask a question, and people think this is funny, to somehow try to get a dig in on me at the same time. And this is a subtle dig and you maybe I may have to know a little bit about this show. If you're just listening for the first time, you may not understand this one, but uh, I see what you're doing here. Joseph, his question is this again, he's come from patreon.com slash riverfront realizing that UNC has never lost to a 16th seed. If Moose and Gino do not show improvement, will the Reds let them play the entire season like last year? We're ignoring the first part of that. <laughs> and Joseph's dead to me. The answer to this, here's my answer, short answer, Nate. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. The best we can hope for is that one of them catches fire at least. Do you disagree with that? Uh, that was almost exactly what I had written down. Um, I think that even if they're both just floundering, they're going to keep trotting them out there in the hopes that one of them does catch fire and they can dump them to somebody, to a contender at the deadline. That's the best hope, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stuck. So, but I, yeah they're not going anywhere otherwise. Um, and I think, so I'll take those contracts off their hands. Uh, okay, now, next question. I just looked at it, and I, this is one that I wish I'd had a little time to think about. Uh, it comes from our friend Hooper Powell. Hooper asks, if laughter won you ball games, who would be in your starting rotation of TV characters? If laughter won you ball games, who's in your starting rotation? So we got five spots here. Let's kind of alternate, Nate. Uh, who's, 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 your, who's, who's your first pick? Um, do you want me to start with my ace or my number five starter? No, go with your ace because we're going to put, put five together just between the two of us. Um, number one for me, it wasn't even close, is uh, Frank Reynolds, uh, Danny DeVito's character, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Good call. I can't. I, I think about the guy in LA. <laughs> you know, I don't know about him being in the starting rotation. Though. It seems like he's more of a short guy. Oh. I don't know. That's that's really poor. Poor. My kids are cringing at my dad joke uh, ability right now. Literally right now. All right, what about uh, – here's what I'll give you here. Uh, and I want to hear – I know you thought it all five, but I don't know if I can come up with five. But So I'm going to throw out uh, Kramer. What about Kramer? That's a great From, from the Seinfeld? Did not make my five. Uh, came really, really close. Someone Did you have else? Dr. Tim Watley from uh, from Seinfeld instead? Someone else from Seinfeld made it. Oh, ooh, that's interesting. Hmm, I'm interested here. Well, I got Kramer, you know, just uh, – my son – Started watching. So they put the Seinfelds on uh, on Netflix, and so my son started watching it, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, you weren't lying. This show really is." And I, I'm surprised it holds up for a teenager these days, you know, because uh, it's just different. But uh, I don't know yeah, if you can pay attention, but teenagers these days, it's like living in the '90s again. Is it? It's 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 getting weird. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, who you got next? Um, we'll stick with Seinfeld. Um, I actually almost went with his father, but I, uh, I landed on George Costanza. Um, over his father? I mean, and, I guess and over Kramer? It was it was a volume thing for me. I think George Costanza is. Uh, you know, if you, if you like Larry David, then then you have to like George because Larry David almost made my list too. Um, the most well written, entertaining characters, TV history, comedy, or, or otherwise. Yeah, you know, absolutely. No question about it. And, uh, I, you know, if I had time to think about this, Larry David's absolutely my top five. That show, uh, yeah, again, it's, that show's been, their season 11, and it's taken like 15 years to do it. And that show, it just keeps getting funnier, and I don't know how. Larry yeah. David's a genius. And he has all the money, too. He's a co-creator of Seinfeld, Curve Enthusiasm. Uh, how about this one? Here's a deep cut for the start rotation. I'm going to go way back into the way back machine and give you Barney Fife. Ooh. Come on, Barney Fife, right? Got to be up there. Can't argue with it. He's in, he's in there. All right, who else you got? 
Um, I'm going to go with the immortal Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute, okay. My favorite character from The Office. Uh, I think Steve Carell would have been a fine choice, but nobody had me laugh more than Dwight. Who else you got? Let's hear the rest of your list. Um, My favorite, Ron Swanson. Probably my favorite TV show character of all time. Yeah. Also hysterical. Uh, That's probably probably my ace. Yeah. Um, Then a sneaky contender for me that snuck in at number five was Will Smith as the Fresh Prince. I can't. The rest of yours I can buy. I don't. I mean, I love Will Smith. Fantastic, but I don't know if I can buy that one. I mean, those those are the years for me. I mean, yeah, it was your wheelhouse. The young pup. I think about somebody back from when I was in my twenties, um, who was uh, the, the biggest co- uh, comedy comedy star in the world, um, really throughout my twenties and early thirties, and that of course was Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. See, now I, it's not true. I'm not ninety years old. See, that was that was a little, little joke I did there, a little humor. <laughs> I did think about putting in uh, Sophia from Golden Girls just to get some uh, get some some female uh-huh. on the list because she was funny. Yeah, but if you're going to go Golden Girls this week, you probably can't go with Sophia. Listen, I'm not going to let the zeitgeist tell me who to vote for. <laughs> okay, all right, I get it. I could think all day, you know, uh, Red Fox from Sanford and Son. I mean, they just have the million. This would be a great topic. I thought you were going to say the uh, the robot from Mystery Science Theater. Which one? Crow T Robot? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Tom Servo? What about Gypsy? Oh my gosh! Don't my, don't mock my love of mystery science theater. Oh. <laughs> He's mocking it. I need everybody to go to the twitters if you like mystery science theater and mock Nate. Um, Easy, which to means do. nobody. Yeah, nobody. Nobody like watches mystery science theater. I think I'm the only one. So okay. So uh, good question, Hooper. Wish you had more time. Uh, let's rapid fire the rest of these. Andy Wills. The Reds recently announced their minor league spring training invites. I was surprised to see Ladolo but not Hunter Green. Does that mean Green is a major league starter this season? Short answer, unless he gets injured. Oh, gosh, please don't get injured. Or something else happens in spring training. I think, yeah, I think he breaks camp with the Reds. I saw that smirk, Nate, when I said about Hunter Green getting injured. Exactly. That's the only answer, right? He's uh, he's he's coming he's coming north, with the, or I guess east with the Reds these days. I think he'll be given every opportunity. you got to imagine that uh, Bob is looking for any sort of uh, – you know, flowers that the Reds fans are willing to send him, and that's an easy win for him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, next question comes from Carl. M- Carl, I'm going to – I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce it. It's Mitz, M-I-T-Z. It's Mitz again. I think we've already had this discussion, and I forgot. I'm sorry, Carl. I love you. I'm not disrespecting you. The Reds need a right-handed outfield back to supplement Tyler Naquin this season. Who should they sign, and why is it Andrew McCutcheon? Oh, man, I love this idea. Uh, Naquin can't can't – play every day okay but as a platoon guy i love having naquin as your lefty and andrew mccutcheon's a guy i've been wanting to see in a reds uniform for you know 12 13 years now so uh love me some andrew mccutcheon he's not the same guy he was before but as a platoon guy he absolutely could be productive uh, in this lineup yeah i would i would have loved to see him 12 or 13 years ago <laughs> right right um but you're okay with it now or no i mean he wouldn't be my first choice but uh he could do a lot worse yeah yeah Mike Trout, then Andrew McCutcheon. James Urban. You know what? I'm the, With this uh, ridiculous accent I've got, I'm going to start going by the name James Rural. Is that a good idea? No. no. I like Luffy Chad. <laughs> James Urban. Am I the only one thinking that's thinking this Jonathan India, Nick Cassiano's friendship might somehow keep him with the Reds? Uh, yeah, James. Uh, I, like your, I like your optimistic attitude, but Ain't happening. I mean, like, you threw in a couple qualifiers, might and somehow. I think that's the only real hope we have. Is no, well, that's true. That's the way phrase that is right. Yeah, yeah, I, well, wish. I, mean, I do enjoy seeing him work out together, and I love watching Andy out there living his best life. That guy's having all the fun. But uh, yeah, being a there's being a young, the right <laughs> we'll see. To, uh, <laughs> play across Naquin. There we go. Yeah, I think we should get uh, Nick Cassianos and platoon him with Tyler Naquin, right? No. The role he deserves. All right, I, I'm going to let you, because uh, I know you don't like this guy very much, so I'm going to let you read the next question, Nate. 
uh, our buddy Joey Gaditza. You said I don't like Joey or the people who quit. That's what you told me off before we started recording. Is that not true? That is the most inaccurate thing. And also <laughs> rude. Joe and I have been chatting quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I may have just told a lie. I'm sorry. I enjoy all of our interactions, Joe. Do not listen to Chad. He's a filthy potty mouth. Um, <laughs> Joey's question is, hey, guys, so with Tucker gone now, Ty does the bulk of the catching. Farmer is the backup now, I assume. Barrero can stay at shortstop that way. Makes sense, right? I think. Um, it did make some sense, maybe. I, I like your optimism that you think Barrero is actually going to get play in time. Um, at this point, I'll take him anywhere. He needs to be a shortstop, of course. But, uh, gosh, I need, I need some evidence that the Reds are going to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Farmer's not going to be a backup catcher either way. Best case scenario is uh, Farmer being your backup at, uh, you know, shortstop, second, third. Farmer being your backup. Did I say Barrero? Farmer being your backup yeah. everywhere else. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not optimistic about Barrero being the shortstop this year. That makes me really upset. Next question, Rich Thompson. Rich's question is this. Gentlemen, if and when you decide to make the Riverfront Beer League All-Star softball game happen, who will you get as the play-by-play and color commentators to cover our extravaganza and spectacle of athleticism unleashed? Good question, Rich. Play-by-play and color commentators. To me, there's only a... Well, uh, I guess we, if it's if, we're, if it's televised to me, it's got to be George Grand and Chris Welsh. That's my answer. What do you think, Nate? Um, I love both those answers. I went with uh, Gus Johnson. I've never known him to call much baseball, but that guy makes anything entertaining. I'll take it. What about uh, Vin Scully? I mean, I mean, he would be uh, he'd be so lucky to call my softball game. Yeah, really. Rex Scott. Guys, please summarize the, strength, summarize the strengths and weaknesses you see in David Bell as our manager. What do you think he needs to do better and or keep doing next season? My opinion about David Bell is this. And I know you probably maybe thought about this more than that because I just read the questions first I've heard of it. David Bell has no strengths and no weaknesses. He is the most average manager in the history of baseball. There, that's my answer. Do you have a serious answer? That actually is a serious answer. I, I actually believe that. I think he's just – he's meh. Yeah, I mean, I, I put some thought into it. My answer uh, didn't end up being much different. I think he's had some questionable lineup decisions, and he likes to trot out some uh, some relievers that I wouldn't necessarily think that I would do in his case. But you got to play the hand you're dealt, I think, a lot of the times. As long as the players like the manager, um, some of these in-game decisions can be a little overrated. Um, he seems to uh, – have his guys back, and I like that. I think that, you know, we had Dusty Baker, who we were all ready to, you know, buy him his Uber out of town. Crazy. And as a fan, you end up just disliking these guys, and I think that uh, in the long run, it's, it's overblown. David Bell's fine. Yeah, my, my serious answer is weaknesses. He, he likes to make sure you remember that he's in the dugout sometimes by just over-managing. Um, Strength. I think he's open to the advanced analytics some, and he, he's at least open-minded enough to you know consider um, the numbers. But yeah, he's just he is what he is. Uh, I wouldn't fire him, but I wouldn't go sign him to a ten-year extension either. All right, last question comes from Seth Shaner, and I don't know. This I think this is actually a pretty good question. Does continued Bengals success, Bengals success? I always say Bengals. Yeah, this continued Bengals Bengals success put any pressure on Bob to do better, to try. For years, when the Bengals were awful, it was easy for the Reds to kind of look over there and say, "Hey, at least we aren't the Bengals." Yeah, for Bob to look over and say, "What do you want? What do you care? I'm not Mike Brown." Well, how the turntables? I guess my question in response was, uh, "Did Mike Brown feel the pressure to uh, turn up the heat during the Reds' extended and prolonged success in the '90s?" Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, let me think how to say this. I don't think Bob Castellini is feeling any pressure from anyone right now. I think Phil Castellini will only feel pressure if he thinks it's going to affect his uh, his checkbook, his bank account. And that's where we are as Reds fans. Good night. 
Yeah, well, actually, that is where we're going to end off here, Nate. Uh, any final thoughts for us? Uh, no, looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to the Viewer Mail episode. And, I mean, for uh, for some off-season baseball talk, that's, that's pretty fun. Also, yeah, I got one more thing to say. That was a lie about Joey Gaditza. Joey, you are my bro. <laughs> <laughs> he really never said a bad word about you, Joey, as, as far as you know. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, River, The Riverfront. Episode number 406. He's Nate Dodson. I'm Chad Dodson. Uh, I'm tired. Subscribe everywhere you find us. Smash that like button on YouTube. Tell everybody about it. I mean, literally, walk out on your porch. I don't care how cold it is. Walk out on your porch and just yell. Subscribe to the Riverfront. Um, Patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. I don't know. Whatever. Nate, great talking to you. Good night. Get out of here. All right, for uh, for Nate Dotson and uh, for who else this week? D'Angelo Jimenez. Ooh. This is Chad Dotson saying cool. so long, everyone.